0: Welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. I'm Matthew Bunsen filling in for Al today. The uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops uh, is wrapping up its uh, spring assembly. Uh, It has had a pretty full agenda. Usually the spring meetings are a little more sedate uh, and less busy, but uh, this is the time for uh, a lot of discussion. And the topic of the moment, uh, the one that uh, they really focused on the most and certainly has gotten the most media attention and social media uh, back and forth uh, and has pretty wide ramifications for all of us who are Catholic, was a discussion about moving forward on a draft uh, on the teaching document on the Eucharist, uh, the Eucharist in the Life of the Church. It has been a contentious topic uh, for this meeting it has been for a while now because of its uh, potential and one has to stress potential implications uh, for President Joe Biden and other Catholic politicians who openly dissent from the teachings of the church on important teachings. The one that is preeminent, of course, is that of abortion, and who still present themselves for the Eucharist. Uh, This has been, as I said, uh, quite a discussion over the last few days, and it ended with a vote on whether to proceed. Uh, And to help us uh, unpack all of that, as well as uh, everything else that was happening at this meeting over the last couple of days, is Matt Hedro, who is senior correspondent for the Catholic News Agency. Matt, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. We are usually in Baltimore. Uh, for these meetings, uh, you and I have been yep. going, you've been going to quite a few over the last few years, I know. Uh, it's been a different experience virtual. Uh, first, what has that been like? But what are the high points and some of the low points?
1: Well, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's very different from being in there uh, live in the room. Um, and, and we saw this at the uh, last meeting that they had in November, uh, they had to be virtual as well for the pandemic. Um, So you you know, I I, I don't think this. uh, I don't think they're the type of audience that's going to be super tech savvy. And you know, we saw that. uh, You know, saw some saw some hiccups. I mean, by and large, obviously the uh, you know the conference you know ran things smoothly with the the technology. But you're right in that the the deliberation um, the deliberation is different. Uh, than, um, you know, than when they are in person. Mm -hmm. Um, I think they're planning to be back in person in November at the fall meeting. Um, and so you know we'll see we'll see if that happens and uh, that also uh, could be the time when if the Eucharistic document is uh, drafted, then it would be debated and amended and, and all that and we right. would see perhaps much more extensive debate on that.
0: yeah, there was uh, an argument made uh, even before the start of the meeting, uh, and obviously it was an effort to derail any discussion really of this potential document, but the argument was made uh, just a couple of days. it seems like the bishops have been meeting for several weeks. It's actually only been since Wednesday, right. <laughs> Yes. So uh, right at the start, when they hadn't even approved the agenda, uh, the request was made to have like an unlimited amount of time uh, to discuss this document. Uh, mm-hmm. One bishop, I've forgotten which one, uh, described it as a kind of filibuster. But the the motion was uh, presented by Bishop Rosansky. I, would I be wrong in in saying that uh, Archbishop Gomez as for those of us who followed it yesterday, certainly gave them enough time. Uh, was it three hours uh, of time for everyone to weigh in who wanted to?
1: Yes, that was, uh, at least for me, unexpected. Uh, so that, um, yes, because, you know, Archbishop Rosiansky had introduced his motion to have unlimited debate. Both Archbishop's uh, now men in Kansas City and Coakley, I believe, in Oklahoma City referred to that as kind of a delaying tactic, a mm-hmm. filibuster. Um, because, again, you know, these – their meeting – the public meetings are pretty limited. Uh, you know, it was supposed to be only a, a couple of hours each day. And if there were unlimited debate, you're ha- you're talking about um, hundreds of – you know, hundreds of bishops having the opportunity to – you know, uh, having several
0: minutes to, to – yeah, five something. minutes is a yeah. typical clock.
1: Yeah. Um, but the, the debate was extensive. Uh, it went much longer than uh, – the proceedings mm-hmm. on Thursday m- went much longer than planned. They were planned to end at four. Um, you know, it went well past that and um you know i think uh, dozens uh, i you know, i forget the exact number but uh, certainly dozens of bishops you know had the opportunity to uh, to speak and there was extensive debate about that
0: yeah and uh, so for those who may not remember the the motion by bishop prezensky or archbishop prezensky uh was defeated mm-hmm. uh, it was pretty surprisingly narrow defeat it was like yeah, 59% 59% opposition so uh, I want to be careful about getting into too many numbers because it's a flurry of math. But it did seem to me today that when the bishops finally had a chance to vote on whether to proceed with this document uh, 168 to 55 with six abstentions that's something of a supermajority. But it, it tells you something about what may have been transpiring over the last few days. What did you see in terms of the discussion among the bishops uh, that may have moved the needle in favor of this document? Well, I mean, it, it, again, the, the it's
1: for me. It's a little hard to tell without an open vote. Um, you know, it, it's a since it's a closed ballot, we don't know who who voted for what. Right. But it's certainly uh, the uh, t- to me, it seemed surprising in that uh, there was again there was extensive debate about this on Thursday. It was for a bishops conference. It was spirited. And um, you know there were many impassioned arguments being made on both sides, and uh, you know it's, it seemed like it might be a narrower vote. Uh, than what it ended up being, but uh, but again, you know, the vote going back to the vote itself, it was simply on whether whether to begin drafting a document. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there had been a proposed outline that was advanced by the doctrine committee, um, just to give enough substance to the action item that was being voted on. And you know, again, there's all this uh, parliamentary you know parlance. You know, but 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 ultimately, the the text of the document hasn't been written yet, um, and, and so in uh, the the proposed outline was a. A comprehensive overview of church teaching. Um, the the section on worthiness to receive was really you know it's a subsection, um, and, and so the uh, you know this and and it's part of a um, a larger kind of a three year strategic plan mm-hmm. that the bishops adopted in November um, at you know their fall general assembly there. That strategic plan had a Eucharistic title, um, and, and so I think that you know this is this document is kind of rooted in that. And bishops are bishops that were in support of it are saying that listen, there's a real need for catechesis here. Um, there are polls that show two thirds of Catholics do not believe in the real presence. Um, that's a problem. <laughs> that's you know that that is just fundamentally at odds with you know what what's what the truth is here.
0: Right. So. Th- Bishop Rhodes, uh, Bishop Kevin Rhodes of the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, who is the chair of the Doctrine Committee, who now is going to have the task, uh, unpleasant and difficult as this might be, uh, to pull together uh, the the draft and to consult with the different committees uh, of the conference and experts and all of that, he seemed uh, almost eager. Uh, to have this conversation yesterday when it came time to debate it because uh, as he said somewhat bluntly in his presentation, there have been some deliberate misrepresentations of what this is. And we see in secular media, we have seen in some progressive Catholic media, uh, this idea that the only purpose of this document is to try to deny President Joe Biden communion. Mm -hmm. What did Bishop Rhodes say and what is actually the fact of what's likely to be in this document?
1: Yeah. I mean, he, you know, he was addressing simply, um, you know, what it, what it's about um, that, you know, listen, there's um, we have seen the polls again showing uh, a decline in the belief in the real presence. We're seeing polls of Catholics leaving the church. Then we had the pandemic when uh, the churches, you know, the churches were closed, uh, the faithful were not, you know, we're not going to mass. Um, and, and so, you know, he was just saying, we're really concerned that the faithful's absence from parish life uh, could re- could really result in a further uh, decline in belief in the Eucharist, and we've got to do something here. Um, and so he's saying, you know, the, the document is addressed to all Catholics, uh, not just politicians. Uh, it does, I mean, according to the proposal, it does include a call for Catholics in public life to uphold the Church's teachings. But again, the, you know, it's addressed to all Catholics, and uh, bishops have been saying this for weeks, that... Um, you know, when we talk about worthiness to receive communion, we're referring to everyone. Um, it's it's been the church's teaching since the very beginning that before anyone approaches the altar we're able to receive communion, they have to. You remember conscience. something
0: in St. Paul about that too? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and and in, in fairness, also to the bishops, uh, we've had uh, the document in two thousand six, uh, Happy Are Those Called to Your Supper, uh, where they actually addressed that very topic. Uh, so this isn't something new, but. Yeah. Uh, what i think can we say that what is new is that at uh, the obvious crisis uh, in belief in the real presence but then we have the the complication uh, that we can't really get around that joe biden is the second catholic president of the united states who mm-hmm. openly descends from the teachings of the church on very important teachings including the preeminent one of abortion
1: yeah and and you know the the teaching document was also called for um you know for for those who uh, you know Back at the fall meeting of the bishops, they created a special working group uh, to deal with uh, to deal with Biden because he's only the second Catholic president in U.S. history. Um, you know, it's really it's a historical phenomenon, and one of the recommendations of the working group was a teaching document on the Eucharist. Now, it's you know, it was not as as Bishop Rhodes was explaining, not that they're trying to focus exclusively on one person, but simply that you're having. You know, really the most notable American uh, out there who's a Catholic um, is professing something that is contrary to church teaching on a grave issue um, on abortion and on other issues as well.
0: Yeah, I, th- I and, think his new bishop in Wilmington is a bishop Koenig or bishop-elect Koenig. I use a comment that he's what, the world's most famous parishioner.
1: Yeah. I mean it, it's it, – it, you know, you, you can't – they cannot get around that you know he's, he's, he's the most notable American out there and he's a Catholic and, and that he believes and, and professes these things and that he's putting them into action in policy.
0: Yeah. And so we also have a, a prominent political figure like Nancy Pelosi uh, who has had a number of tangles uh, with uh, the, the church, uh, very publicly dissenting again from the teachings of the church. So is there uh, a sense of the bishops now going forward? Uh, that this document is going to happen. I mean, obviously, it's going to be drafted. But what are we to take away from the scale of the vote in favor of this document?
1: Again, you know, I, I think it shows, um, at least for me, it showed uh, kind of a, you know, a, a, bi- a large portion of the conference that uh, did not weigh in in the deliberations, but, you know, voted uh, voted to go ahead with the document. Uh, and so that, while uh, there was a, um, a very vocal segment of the bishops uh, that were just, you know, warning that uh, to do so would uh, appear to be very political and that, the, you know, um, that it was still – it was a vocal minority, um, you know, and, and a small one in the scheme of things at like that.
0: Yeah, and there was a letter that circulated – Heading into this meeting, of signed by sixty-seven bishops, that then the, that number dropped to sixty-five when two of the, mm-hmm. the signatories asked that their names be removed. Uh, that had a group then of sixty-five bishops, and yet in this final vote, uh, we had fifty-five opposed. So somewhere along the line, that group became even smaller again.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. So from the the standpoint, in a way, of the conference, then there does seem to be a will to do this, and. Uh how money how much fireworks how big a fight do you anticipate in November over this document?
1: Well, I mean, you know, judging uh judging from the Thursday's debate, I would say that we'll we'll see this again and perhaps more so.
0: Right. And it's gonna have a, a higher hurdle to get over in November in yes. terms of votes. Matt Hedro from the Catholic News Agency. When we come back, we're gonna talk more about the US Conference of Catholic Bishops, including some of the things that you might not have heard about. Uh, that were discussed and voted. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. Don't go anywhere. This week at AveMariaRadio.net's Poll of the Week, we want to know, do you think the bishops will draft a document about Eucharistic coherence? Let us know now by going to AveMariaRadio.net, scrolling down on the homepage, and clicking on Poll of the Week. Welcome back to Krista in the Afternoon. I'm Matthew Bunsen filling in for Al today, continuing my conversation with Matt Hedro the uh, senior dc correspondent for the catholic news agency and matt we were talking about uh, the document on the eucharist and the life of the church and the fact that uh, it has been approved for drafting by the conference uh, which has turned into a major cause celeb certainly uh, among the the chattering classes on social media but there was also a an important discussion uh, just today uh, headed by bishop andrew cousins Uh, on the revival, a Eucharistic revival. What was that?
1: Yeah, you know, and this is, uh, I would say, potentially a far, could be a far more significant in the long-term initiative of the bishops. Uh, It's a, you know, proposal for a three-year initiative with major efforts at the diocesan and the parish level to um, you know, I mean, the the title kind of speaks for itself. You know, to really revive uh, belief and devotion in the Eucharist. Uh, you know, promoting Eucharistic adoration. Um, you know, and it would culminate in uh, 2024 in a planned national Eucharistic Congress, which they would hope to have uh, 100,000 Catholics uh, at. So it, it's really uh, it's really a major effort on um, you know on the big and the small levels here to uh, you know. Um, uh, of the bishops on the Eucharist. Trevor
0: Burrus And it does seem to uh, dovetail really well uh, with the document that's being proposed here on the Eucharist and the life of the church that on the one hand here we'll have this teaching document uh, that everyone can turn to uh, and then we have the sort of a a plan for implementing and helping people to understand more fully the real presence and, and the Eucharist in our life.
1: Yeah, and and again, going back to the teaching document itself, it's it's very comprehensive, and it includes a lot about you know again the the real presence of Christ in mm-hmm. the Eucharist, the need to recover Sunday as a holy day, um, the uh, you know just the the need to recover the sense of Mass and the Eucharist as a sacrifice, um, uh, you know the importance of putting faith into action through the works of mercy. Uh, again, so you know it's a very uh, it doesn't just address worthiness to receive communion. That's a subsection. It's an important one, but it's it's a much, much broader document than that.
0: Right. I, I keep coming back to the uh, slightly mystifying reality that uh, the idea of being worthy to receive the Eucharist should be controversial.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, you know, it's it's seen that way. I think from, I can only— Somewhat anecdotally, can, you know, can say from all the different uh, statements I see from public officials and from those who uh, talk about it, you know, a, a communion is, is there's such a, there's a real emphasis on unity uh, and on communion being a sign of unity, um, but without regard to the church's teaching that, um, you know, and again that goes back to Saint Paul that, you know, you can't uh, if you receive the Eucharist unworthily, mm-hmm. you're eating and drinking damnation upon yourself. That's right. Those are strong words, but that's, you know, that's what yeah. he said.
0: Trevor Burrus Right. But of course, we're apparently we're no longer allowed to quote scripture either, so, so we're being told <laughs> from time to time now. So this was a meeting that uh, everyone going into uh, knew this is going to be a huge topic on the Eucharist. Uh, but there were other things on the agenda, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, those often get overlooked. Uh, the one that uh, I wanted to start with was and it's a question that I've been asked by a few people are we now going to have to buy new versions of the Liturgy of the Hours um, yes the the the
1: short answer would be uh, yes you know there's going to be a new translation it's part of a much much longer process uh, that's been going on you know I interviewed the um, the head of the Secretariat uh, for of the liturgy at the bishops' conference, and uh, he was just telling me about the the ongoing process of uh, of translations. It was really interesting, but you know, the in, with particular reference to the liturgy of the hours, uh, you know, it might not be the new translation might not be ready until at least twenty twenty four. He was saying so, it'll it'll be a few years.
0: It seemed like there was a, a little less uh, back and forth, uh, rancor uh, surrounding this translation than when the the, the missile came out, for example. I, I, Remember being in the room when there was a lot of discussion uh, about that. Yeah. So hopefully this is going to be a little more smooth of a process.
1: Yeah, I, I would have to think. And I was not—I was not at the bishops' conference when the, the missile was being discussed. But I, you know, I remember when it uh, it came into the churches, and you know, there was a lot of talk about it. And and some people thought that it was less, um, you know, less welcoming of a translation, or you know, or just. Felt awkward in, in, in some points. I think, again, for those who for those who attended Mass, um, you know, a lot more Catholics were going to notice the change in translation uh, versus that It's a much much smaller subset of Catholics who regularly praise you know the breviary and the Divine Office. So. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. And yeah. I'm sure that uh, these will also be available online, so you don't necessarily have to buy the sometimes very expensive, uh, yeah. beautiful versions, though they might be. Mm-hmm. Although I guess there was always an argument about the quality of the art. Yeah, <laughs> understood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there was also uh, if if we had sort of a, a very lengthy and tough conversation and debate over the potential drafting of a document of the Eucharist, the discussion surrounding uh, the pastoral framework on marriage and the family also had its moments, but it didn't quite reach that level. But there was some very interesting back and forth.
1: Yes, yeah, so it was a very um again talking about the parliament parliamentary procedure <laughs> it was a very technical you know parliamentary debate about uh, whether or not uh, certain footnotes you know were going to be included it was a it's a pastoral statement on marriage ministry uh, that was being advanced by um, archbishop Leone in mm-hmm. San Francisco and you know chair of the marriage and family life uh, committee at the bishops conference and and uh, the um, Cardinal Bliasupich of Chicago had, uh, you know, proposed some amendments. Uh, you know, he wanted uh, Amoris Laetitia, Chapter Eight, you know, to be cited uh, in one of the footnotes, and uh, that, in particular,
0: was, the controversial footnotes from Amoris Laetitia. Yes, right. yes,
1: yeah, and those those were ultimately, uh, you know, included. Uh, but again, in the in the footnotes of the pastoral statement, uh, right.
0: So we have now a footnote that includes a footnote. Yes, right. And uh, there was a, a moment I, I, in early church history, I know, and in, in the great. Councils on the Christology, there, there's an argument over Homoousius versus Homoousius, and it all they said came down to the importance of an iota. In the discussion uh, between Cardinal Supic and Archbishop Cotillioni, it seemed to come down to uh, the importance of two Fs.
1: Yeah, it was um, at least something I've never seen before in, in, a, um, in a footnote, and a citation, but uh, I think it was meant to say that. Uh, more so Tt t- paragraph two ninety one, and the F's were meant to say, um, you know, and the paragraphs beyond that were also meant to be cited in that section of the statement. Right.
0: Now that uh, that draft uh, was approved itself, right? Uh, I think by a pretty significant two hundred and twelve to thirteen. Uh, with four abstentions, mm-hmm. I, we always have those abstentions. Yeah. So it, it seems that whatever arguments uh, might have been circling that were were remedied. But then we also have a national pastoral framework on youth and young adults, which also passed uh, pretty, I mean, very easily. Yeah. What were some of the the elements of that uh, that are worth noting? Well, again, you know, it
1: comes not too long after, you know, there was the synod on youth at the Vatican, you know, a couple of years ago, and you know, this this being one of the action items of the conference, I think, you know, just kind of signaled that it was a, you know, a priority that you know there needed to be a, you know, a framework here for, you know, for pastoral ministry in this area, and that, you know, it was there were, I believe, three. Before, you know, statements or pastoral frameworks that were being advanced, Uh, you know, this was one of them. Uh, You know, you had marriage, young adults, uh, Native American ministry, and uh, the statement on the Eucharist. Mm -hmm.
0: So the the question then becomes also one of if we've got the frameworks on youth and young adults and we have family life ministry. How much impact—and uh, you may not be able to answer this—but how much impact has this the pandemic had in sort of recrafting some of these statements? Because it, the COVID obviously was looming very large, even in the discussion on the Eucharist.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that—that that was that was probably the most uh, the most I heard talked about. You know, the influence of the pandemic on the Eucharist, mm-hmm. precisely because you know a lot of the faithful couldn't uh, couldn't go to church, couldn't go to mass, couldn't go to adoration. Um, but uh, that you know that uh, there are a lot of um, you know there was a lot of isolation that uh, came about as a result of uh, you know of the different restrictions and uh, that uh, you know I think we've seen a lot of pain among you know youth and young adults uh, you know we've seen different news reports of uh, you know whether it's uh, suicide rates among a certain age groups going up or you know just a lot of a lot of difficulties that were encountered by this population for yeah. sure
0: and the. the discussion that uh, certainly caught my eye uh, on the agenda uh, was the one to authorize the development of a new formal statement and, quote, comprehensive vision for Native American, Mm -hmm. Alaskan Native Ministry. I thought, which, of course, passed, I think, two twenty three to 6. Bishop uh, uh, Wall from Gallup, I thought, had one of the most riveting presentations of of the whole meeting.
1: Yeah, and it was... um it was interesting remembering what he said. Now, this is during the Eucharistic debate, but he was saying, you know, I've, I'm from a very poor diocese, and, you know, we need um, – you know, we rely on a lot of the resources of the conference here. Um, and, uh, you know, on the on the statement on Native American ministry, you know, he was saying that, you know, there is at present no guide for the Catholic Church in the U.S. in approaching – understanding and promoting native and catholic native ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh and I mean that, the
0: last statement was what 1977?
1: Yes, yeah, you know, it was decades ago. Right. Uh and so he was just really emphasizing the need for the need for a new statement here, a new framework here. Um and you know, this is this comes from him, you know, meeting with uh different uh, you know, different native americans on this.
0: Now, as is often happens at these meetings, um, Potential causes of saints were discussed in advance. Now, the bishops obviously cannot weigh in on this in any formal sense, but there was what is called a canonical consultation on two causes for canonization. Who are the new potential saints that we're talking about? Yeah,
1: so um, Father Joseph Lafleur and uh, Leonard uh, Leonard Larue. Father Lafleur was from the diocese of Lafayette, Louisiana, and uh, he was you know he was ordained a priest there in the '30s and. Um, he was uh, in ministry as a military chaplain during world war ii he was a prisoner of war in a japanese prison camp and uh, the fellow prisoners you know testified to his bravery and his ministry to fellow prisoners they you know they thought that you know he was responsible for i think around uh, 200 conversions in the prison camp and uh, you know he was ulti- he ultimately died tragically he was on a, a prison ship that was torpedoed uh, by the u.s navy but um he, uh, uh, you know, he posthumously earned a a Purple Heart because he was seen, um, you know, helping men out of the hole of the sinking ship. Uh, And uh, Leonard LaRue was a merchant marine captain, um, and he was operating at the beginning of the Korean War, um, he was credited with the rescue of around 14,000 refugees that were fleeing uh, the incoming Chinese, uh, you know, Chinese armies at the beginning of the Korean War. Uh, so, you know, uh, he and the Diocese of Patterson uh, is advancing, um, advancing his cause. So, you know, two very inspiring stories uh, that. You yeah, know, and
0: two fairly modern mm-hmm. saints potentially. Yeah, uh, for us. I mean, uh, what Larue died in 2001, as we were just saying. So it, it's it's a pretty significant. Uh, uh, sense of modernity for us uh, yeah. that we have this potential to cause. Obviously, uh, it's going to be up to the diocese now to move these forward. Uh, but with this sort of support from the conference, it's always a good thing.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, yeah. it's just, it's, it's a, you know, a nice thumbs up, a vote of advancement here.
0: Yeah. So very briefly, uh, how would you describe the state of the conference at this point? How, I mean, there's, there's a lot of discussion about how divided it might be. Uh, heading out of this meeting... Uh, how accurate is that as a statement?
1: Well, again, you know, going by going by Thursday's debate, it was an extensive debate. It was It was a pretty spirited one again, as far as conferences go. Uh, I think that did uh, expose you know a lot of division within the conference. But looking at the final vote of the Eucharistic document, uh, it was an overwhelming an overwhelming number in favor of going through with it. And uh, I think it was only around twenty four percent of those who voted. Um, you know voted uh, voted against moving forward with the Eucharistic document, so yeah, you know a lot a lot a bigger margin there,
0: yeah, so uh, what are you working on?
1: Um, so right now, I uh, was uh, writing up a, uh, there was a statement that was released today by 60 Catholic House Democrats who are pro-abortion um, and, uh, you know, who are telling the bishops don't deny us communion. <laughs> right. And uh, so that's that, that's a new development. So there. this
0: is a fight that's going to go on. And Joe yeah. Biden also has weighed in apparently, too. So. Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, Matt Hadro, Catholic News Agency, uh, senior DC correspondent. Thanks so much. Great Thanks spending for time with you. When we come back, I have a few closing thoughts on the Bishop's Conference. This is Cresta in the Afternoon.